Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. How many of you have ever tried to put something together without using the instructions? Go ahead. Admit it. Yep. You tried to put it together without the instructions. I mean, maybe it was just a piece of furniture or maybe it was like a kid's toy or something. Or, or maybe you thought that it would be a good idea to, uh, you know, just figure it out on your own. Nah, I got this. I can figure it out on my own. You know, and then if it was my wife, she'd be like, did you lose the instructions? Like, why would you even do that? You don't figure it out on your own. I remember there's one time my friend Stephen uh, was getting ready to put together a children's play kitchen set for his daughter for Christmas. Okay, and they had hidden the box in the garage all the way up until Christmas Eve because it's supposed to be a surprise, right? And so you wait till the kids go to sleep on Christmas Eve and then the frenzy begins for the parents to try and put together all the things and get it all direct, decorated so it's ready as a surprise in the morning. And I think he started the process assuming it would be pretty simple. It's a kid's play kitchen set. How hard could it be? So you open the box and pieces of plastic came flying off and he started hunting around for the screws and not too long into the process he realized, oh, this is a little bit more complicated than I had thought. And he wisely, wisely chose to go find the instructions so that he could put it together. Now, um, sometimes doing a task is just simpler when you have the instructions, is it not? Like we can think, oh, I, I can take care of it, but sometimes it's just easier. And it takes the anxiety of guessing out of the equation. It gives you the confidence that I mean, you should be able to get the intended result. I mean, and this is a little-known fact. Did you know that Pop-Tarts have instructions? If you look on the side of the box of a box of Pop-Tarts, it has instructions. Step one, open bag. Step two, toast the pastry. Step three, enjoy. It's just three steps, and it doesn't matter how simple the task is, but having instructions... It gives you steps to follow so that you know that you're on the right track. And in today's passage from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus demonstrates how great of a teacher and how wise of a leader he is by giving us simple, clear instructions on exactly how he wants his followers to join him on mission. So we're going to be reading together, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to be given some instructions today. So we want to pay attention, maybe even take notes on some of the steps. But let's read together Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It reads, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. 
If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set there before you. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of this town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we've been following Jesus through the gospel of Luke for a while now, and I think I'm starting to see his methodology. Have you started noticing some of the commonalities, no matter where Jesus goes, he interacts with people based around their needs. He calls some of them to follow him, and after some time of teaching them and discipling them and training them, he sends them out on his behalf. And he's at it again with our reading today. Now, a couple chapters ago, Jesus commissioned the 12 disciples, and here he is calling together 72 people who have been following him, and he sends them out. Now, this story is not recorded in any of the other Gospels, so I want us to pay attention to the details that Luke includes to see what is it that Jesus felt was so important to tell the people he was sending out. So, first, if we look at our passage, the first important detail is he sends them out in pairs. Maybe because he knows it's nice to have someone to talk to when you're on a long trip, right? Or maybe he knows that mere mortals can't possibly accomplish the mission of God at the same level as Jesus by himself, so we, we need some partners. In any case, the disciples are paired up and sent out together. And that's an important point that I want us to realize today. Jesus established a pattern for ministry, and it was followed by the early church, from Barnabas and Paul, to Paul and Timothy, to Peter and John Mark. Working with partners was the norm. And we would do well to realize that we can learn from their example, to learn that God probably isn't calling us to join him on his mission on our own. The ones who travel alone are lone wolves. But Jesus specifically says he's sending his followers out like lambs, not like wolves. And to doubly prove that he's not sending them on their own, before they even go anywhere, the first job he gives them is to pray. Pray to the Lord. Ask the Lord. You could translate it to say, entreat the Lord, implore the Lord, beg the Lord to send out workers into his harvest field. And why? Well, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, I don't know if we need a clearer picture that Jesus has already done all the work for us, that he's just inviting us to join him in what he's already doing, right? Like, listen to that language. The harvest is plentiful. God has already done all of the planting. God has already brought the growth. In fact, he's already brought the fruit, right? The field is ripe. It's ready to be harvested. All he needs is workers to gather the harvest. 
And even that isn't a job that we're called to do on our own because Jesus says to pray to God to send the workers. I mean, talk about taking the burden off of our shoulders, right? Jesus selects 72 of his followers and gives them the best news ever that he's done all the work and he's just inviting them to join him in the harvest. And he tells them to pray for even more workers. And here's a thought. When we accept Jesus' invitation to join him in the work that he's doing around us, think about this. We are actually an answer to that prayer for more workers. We get to be the answer to the prayer for the Lord to send workers. We get to join what Jesus is doing. We get to work with partners. And we get to pray for the Lord to raise up even more people. And I don't know about you, but this is just such a different gospel than the one that I was raised with. I don't know if you feel the same, but when I was young, I I learned that God created everything, it was good, and then humans turned away from God, sinned, and now we're stuck. We're enslaved in our sinful nature, and we need a Savior to come and rescue us. And there's truth in that, right? But it's almost too simple. Because if that's the only story that we believe about Jesus, then we think that the end goal of that story is to accept Jesus as our Savior so he can clean us up, and then we can go to heaven when we die. And there's truth in those parts. But it leaves this big old question mark about what are we supposed to do between accepting Jesus' forgiveness and grace and dying? Like, what are we supposed to do with our life? Where's the good news for this? If the good news is just about us bad, Jesus good, then it's really good to find out he's good, and it's really good later. But right now, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? If Jesus is just our Savior, well, then what we do with our lives is we spend our time trying to make sure that we don't slip back into sin. And when we do slip, we go, oh man, I gotta ask for forgiveness. I gotta get back on that right track with that Savior of mine. And the whole time we're just living our life, checking to make sure are we doing what we're supposed to do as a Christian now? Which is really just code for trying to live our life on our own power and trying to be extra good so that then we can get to the end of our life and say, I did it, God. I earned your forgiveness. I made it. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. I don't know if anyone else has found themselves living their lives that way or viewing Jesus in that way. But it makes the good news of Jesus really only sound good for when we first hear about him and for the end of our life. It doesn't seem that good in the middle when we're just living under the burden of having to act good. The good news of Jesus doesn't really sound very good when we feel ashamed that we're not living up to it. But if we dig into stories like this and we start to realize that maybe there's a slightly bigger good news, maybe the gospel is a little bit bigger Maybe the gospel seems to be pointing to the fact that the end goal of following Jesus isn't just accepting him and then going to church every week until we die. It seems like perhaps accepting Jesus' love and forgiveness is actually just the beginning of a life of, of joining him at work in the world around us. 
it seems like the good news of the gospel actually applies to every part of our life, not just the end. It seems like God's plan for you doesn't end with you. No, it seems like God's plan for you starts with you, and then he sends you out to the people you meet. And Jesus has some thoughts on how he wants to send you out. So let's read together. Join me on verse 4. Verse 4 says, Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Jesus initiates his call for his disciples to go on mission by sending them out with a calculated deficit. He's sending them out without extra stuff. And I think he's doing it on purpose because he's making a point and he's, he's teaching his disciples something important. Okay? Now, the context of this story in Luke chapter 10, we have to realize Jesus is sending his disciples ahead of him to go into the different towns and villages that he's going to show up in eventually. They are, they are his, his, his forerunners. Okay? And that's why he's sending them out okay? to prepare the way for him. And since these would be groups of people traveling by foot from town to town, he had to intentionally highlight what was different about his instructions this time around. Okay? Because most of the time, travelers would bring extra items on a journey. And we do that same thing today, right? Like we bring extra. Anytime I go on a trip, I make sure to pack at least one full extra change of clothes right? Maybe a few extra changes of clothes, just in case something happens, or, you know, in case I want some options, okay? Maybe some of you are the type of people that just take all of your clothes and just dump it into the suitcase so that you can make the decision when inspiration strikes. Oh, I'll wear this today. Now, Jesus, though, says, no purse, no bag, no sandals. You don't need a purse to hold extra Money, not a large sum of money. Money isn't what you need to put your trust in for this journey. Extra money isn't to be your security when you're on mission with me. And don't bring a bag. You don't need to be carrying extra supplies. You don't need to put your trust in stuff because you won't be fending for yourself when you're learning to trust and depend on me. And don't bring an extra pair of sandals. Just bring what you have on your body. Not because... It's all going to magically never wear out. But because I don't want you to bring anything that will enable you to be self-sufficient. When you're joining me on mission, you need to be learning how to depend on me for your needs. Oh, and don't greet anyone on the road, right? Like, your baggage is light. I don't want you stopping to salute people that you meet along the way because your mission is urgent, If someone tries to stop you on the road, just act like the white rabbit from Alice in Wonderland, right? I'm late. I'm late. For a very important date. No time to say hello. Goodbye. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. No? No one? You don't remember that? Maybe I have to sing it next time. I don't know. I do have to say that for the online service, we record in an empty room, and that joke did not work in an empty room. It's just, you know... I'm glad to be here with you. Where was I? The white rabbit. Don't stop to salute people. See, Jesus is sending his disciples on a specific job with a specific set of instructions. They're not just being sent out to sort of, you know, stand around until something happens. 
And I have to admit that this is where my own uh, life of discipleship, I've fallen short. My own life of, of, of trying to be a witness for Jesus. There have been many times when um, I view that my role as a disciple is to kind of just be a more holy version of myself, right? Like that's back to that, oh, I'm trying to act good. So if I just act like a gooder version of me, then maybe people will notice. And then I hope that that can lead to a conversation. And then I hope that maybe that conversation could let them ask about, well, why are you acting so good? And then I hope that maybe I could bring up Jesus somehow. But hope isn't a strategy, right? And if I'm honest, this passive way of following Jesus, where I'm kind of just standing around waiting for something spiritual to happen, it allows way too much room for me to get distracted by other things. So I get pulled away to other goals and desires, and I begin to wonder if this is all there is to following Jesus, right? Like, do I just try and live a good life and then attend church and that's it? That's the life of abundance and restoration that Jesus is inviting me into? And when we think that that's what life is about, well, then we think, well, okay, our job is to invite people to church, right? We're going to invite our friends to church. We're going to invite our neighbors to church and you know, because that, that's the end goal of following Jesus, right? To come to church. So let's invite them to church, and then the pastor can preach to them. Wouldn't that be so great? But that can't be the main goal of following Jesus, because our passage this morning, it tells us very directly, the Lord of the harvest is calling to send workers out into the harvest. And you might just feel right now, Oh, man, another burden to have to go out. But, and I understand that, but this is not a burden. This isn't a, a have to or else. This, the sending of the, the workers out of the harvest, this is a desire of the Lord. He wants to invite us to join him in the work that he's already doing out in the world around us. See, God wants to send people out to spread his good news of grace and abundant life to all those who need to hear it. And he invites us to partner with him in prayer for that, to pray for him to raise up more workers for the harvest. And he's inviting us to partner with him in going and joining what he's already doing, to be an answer to that prayer. And then Jesus gives specific instructions for how to be a worker in the harvest. This is verses 5 and 6. It says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Jesus' ultimate strategy for spreading the message of the good news of the kingdom of God, right? The good news that there is a king that is showing up to bring reconciliation and healing to the whole world. That good news. Jesus' strategy for spreading that good news doesn't involve a big old campaign. It doesn't involve papering a whole town with pamphlets and letters. It doesn't involve an internet and TV marketing explosion. No. Jesus' way to spread the good news of the gospel 
is through relationships, not programs. He tells his disciples to go and make friends in the towns where they are going ahead of him. Project peace to those that you meet. Be a person of peace. Be a person who promotes a sense of wholeness, of rest, of compassion. Be a person of peace who finds a person of peace. Right? Jesus says, if there is a person of peace, your peace will rest on them. Find that person who is open to you, who responds to you, who reciprocates that peaceful and kind demeanor that you are promoting. Now, I have often thought of this as really just thinking of it as the Holy Spirit ahead of us, at work ahead of us, preparing people to be open to us, opening doors to relationship for us. See, finding a person of peace is the practice of first projecting peace ourselves and then learning to discern, well, who is the Holy Spirit opening up to us? Because God wants to send people into the harvest, and he's already at work in front of us, preparing people to be open to us. So find a person of peace who reciprocates your peace. And then, when they respond to your peace by inviting you in, well, accept their hospitality. Now, in Jesus' day and culture, it was a deep value to practice hospitality for strangers and travelers. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, accept that hospitality, but don't abuse it, right? Verse 7, he says, don't move from house to house. Jesus is saying, don't take advantage of people's hospitality by trying to get something from everyone. And don't disrespect the people who first were open to you by moving on in order to find something nicer or someone cooler. Accept their hospitality with gratitude as a way to honor them as a way to continue to promote the peace and kindness, and then minister to their needs. Verse 9 says, Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Now, you could also translate that sentence as serve the weak and then tell them the kingdom of God is near you. See, Jesus is encouraging his disciples to offer medical cures as well as simply serving people with broader needs. Project peace by serving the people you meet who are open to you. And then he ends his instructions by talking about what to do if no one responds to you and if no one is open to you. Very simple instructions. Move on. Just move on. Jesus tells them to wipe the dust off their feet. Keep on moving. Now, this act of wiping the dust off your feet, it could have been in reference to the Jewish custom, anytime they're out traveling through Gentile or Samaritan areas, they had the custom that when they would leave the Gentile area or the Samaritan area, they were to wipe the dust off their feet before they re-entered Israelite area so that they wouldn't bring even the dust of, you know, those other people with them. And it could be in reference to that. But I also read it as Jesus just taking the burden off of his disciples as well, right? It's almost as if he's saying, you don't need to carry the dust with you. You don't need to carry the guilt or the burden that those people who aren't open to you, the peace that you're promoting. Like, don't even carry the dust of the town with you. Shake it off. Move on, because I'm ahead of you, working on opening doors to relationship. So trust me in this, because it's not our job 
to save people or to find the perfect words to change them. God is the one who has done all of the miraculous, mysterious work of transforming hearts. He's already at work ahead of us, inviting us to join him in the harvest. Sometimes I think that we make evangelism way more difficult than it needs to be. Right? Like, we, get, we say this big word, evangelism, and immediately, like, your blood pressure starts to rise. And you're like, no, 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 no. You just said that I had to come to church and, like, give some canned goods to the pantry every once in a while. What do you mean I have to talk to people? Or we're the type of people that says, yes, I am ready. I've researched on Google. I know all the things to say, and I'm going to convince that neighbor, and he's going to stop being a jerk once he hears what I have to say. Or my personal favorite, the people who post on Facebook and saying, to all my dear friends, I'm saying this because I love you, and then go on like some tirade about, you know, something that they hate, and we need to change our ways because this is what Jesus says. And I'm only telling this because I love you, and you need to know that if you don't know Jesus, you know, you're going to go to hell right now. (sighs) That wasn't in our online service either. You guys are getting the uncut version. (laughs) We make this, this, I don't know, it's not a task, but sharing our faith, right? We make it into such a big ordeal. And we get anxious. We get afraid. Thinking about, well, what to say? Or what if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? How do I answer those hard questions? But if we notice this morning, Jesus hardly says anything about having a sophisticated method. And he does not give an outline for a well-developed message to share when we do have the opportunity to share, right? That's not the instructions that Jesus is giving his disciples. The ministry that Jesus does give to his disciples, the ministry that he gives to us, the mission that he invites us into isn't to have the right words to say. The mission that he invites us into is to minister to needs, to reveal God's power, and then to point to where it came from. I mean, even though many of us can be intimidated to share Jesus with others because, well, I feel like I don't know what to say. Jesus says, just simply give of yourself and then point to the presence of God. Just give of yourself and point to the presence of God. Be a person of peace and then find a person of peace who the Holy Spirit has already opened up to you. Because remember, this isn't a job that is given to us to carry out on our own power. No. This is the desire of the Lord. God wants to use us to reach the people around us. This is actually the way that he has joyfully laid out. There's one author I read that said it this way. He says, you are God's plan A for spreading the hope of the gospel. And there is no plan B. But the good news is that God has already prepared the harvest for us. And he's already preparing people to be open to us. And he's inviting us to join him in what he's already doing. So how should we respond to that invitation? I mean, well, if we take our cue from Jesus and his instructions in our passage today, 
We do two main things. We project peace, and we pray for partners. See, we pray for partners because God doesn't give us this assignment alone, and he doesn't ask us to accomplish it on our own for him either. He tells us to first partner with him. God's our first partner. We partner with him in prayer so that we're learning how to trust him, expect him to raise up even more people to labor alongside us. And then we take that trust, that partnership that we've been learning with God, and we bring it with us to the people that we get to partner with, and we learn how to trust them, how to partner with them, learning together how to be people of peace who find the ones that the Holy Spirit is opening up ahead of us. So we pray for partners. Second, we project peace. We meet people in our day-to-day activities who we want to share the good news with, but we don't need to follow a script or run a program, and we definitely don't need to, like, win an argument or try and convince someone to change their mind on an issue. We just project peace and look for doors that the Holy Spirit has already opened. And when someone is open to us, we ask God, well, how could we serve this person? How could we continue to build a relationship? And then when asked why we are serving in that way, we point to the presence of God in our lives. Because remember, God is at work ahead of us. We just need to trust him and follow him to share the good news of grace and abundant life that we find in Jesus. Because this is God's plan for bringing restoration and healing and hope and joy to a world that desperately needs it. He invites us to partner with him, to join him on mission in our day-to-day lives through, through prayer and peace. And what if, what if we actually accepted that invitation? Like, what would our church look like if we truly prayed for God to raise up partners for us? Like, what if we prayed that God would allow us to be a partner for someone else? Would it cause us to connect together differently? Would it cause us to see our daily schedule differently? Like, if we knew that God might be inviting us to be an answer to someone else's prayer? Oh, no, I don't have time right now, God. Like, maybe 30 minutes next Tuesday, but I'm really busy right now. What if we began to ask God to show us a person of peace? Like, how would that change our neighborhoods if you began to project peace and then intentionally just prayed for discernment on who the Holy Spirit has opened up to you in your neighborhood? For some of you, you're already thinking of the person that the Holy Spirit has opened up to you as a person of peace. I mean, what if we prayed for that? Would it cause us to linger outside a little bit more in order to connect with a neighbor? Would it cause us to begin to pray for our neighbors by name? How would that change your interactions? If you began to see the people who live around you as image bearers of God who he is pursuing with love. I mean, how would that change your conversations if you committed to being a person who projects peace? I mean, what if our whole community, what if we just started living intentionally this way, to just project peace, partnering together to project peace wherever we go? I mean, imagine how that would change. Not just Huntington Beach, not just Fountain Valley, not just Long Beach. Imagine how that would change us, our whole area. I mean, we might be people of peace at the grocery store. Even in the slow checkout line, 
We might meet a person of peace who's open to us at our favorite restaurant. We might meet people of peace when we're out on a walk or when we're shopping for clothes. If we start praying this way, our antennas just might be up all the time. We might actually be able to take part in what God's doing in all the areas of our life and not just on Sunday mornings between 9.30 and 10.30. It might. It might just change things for us. I mean, just imagine. Imagine what kind of incredibly simple and grace-filled conversations could happen if we actually believed that God was calling us to partner with him, to, to project peace, and to connect with people that he's already opening for us. It might just transform our lives a little bit. It might just reveal the kingdom of God a little bit more. It might just show us how God's grace is a gift that is easily shared when we partner with him and interact with the people of peace that he's prepared ahead of us. And it might just be the thing that Jesus is inviting you into today. Will we join him? That is for us to reflect on. Amen. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.